Hello and welcome to A's Plus, the San Francisco Chronicles podcast on the A's and Major League Baseball. I'm your host, Chronicle A's beat writer, Susan Slusser, and today we welcome A's pitching coach, Scott Emerson, who discusses how the staff is shaping up, his thoughts on the opener, and the recent loss of both of his parents. Then ESPN's Howard Bryant stops by to break down the hottest A's topics and discuss his next book project and why A's fans will care about it. Hello and welcome to the first spring training A's Plus podcast. I'm your host, Susan Slusser, and with me is A's pitching coach Scott Emerson. Scott's going into a second full season in the position, but of course he's been essentially a a lifetime member of the Oakland A's through the organization, so he's got all sorts of good perspective on on the team and what's going on with it. First of all, Scott, what do you think of the pitching staff going into the season so far? It might not quite be complete. Um, the rotation might have a few question marks, but overall, how do you like what you're looking at? Uh, I, I really do. You know, we got a good mixture of some veterans coming in that uh, can help lead the youngsters, and then we got a lot of young uh, prospects that we're, we're kind of waiting on to, to see what they can do. Um, the guys have been out, a lot of them have been out for the last two weeks throwing the ball around, and it's been really fun to watch them uh, mature, the younger guys, and then the veterans mix in. and. Uh, it holds up. I think we're going to have a really good season on the pitching side. Any of the new guys particularly uh, pique your interest? Obviously, Marco Estrada is coming in. He's a veteran with some experience and, and a former All-Star. Yeah, just watching him throw his bullpen and be able to move his ball to both sides of the plate and know his game has been a lot of fun. Uh, and then, obviously, our whole bullpen, they were great last year. we got to keep them fresh so they can do the same. Uh, Soria threw a bullpen, and... And this guy was, I called him Picasso right out of the chute. You know, he, he was changing some arm angles and putting the baseball where he wanted it to. So, you know, the veteran guys know how to move the ball around. That's why they've been in the league so long. So once we get the young kids to be able to do the same, then our, our pitching will even take off even more. Now, adding Soria, who you mentioned, um, makes your bullpen, which was already sp- strong, um, arguably just, just as strong last year because he sort of pre- you know, we, we assume takes the spot of Yuri's Familia, who's left. Um, what do you think of, of the bullpen going into this season, especially with guys like Trevino um, now with a year, full year of experience, um, and then adding Soria, and of course having Blake Trinan coming off a record-setting year? Well, we got a lot of guys that have closed games, and now, you know, we, we, generally you have one closer, you know, and then we'll have some guys if Blake's been, uh, if he's down for the day. But uh, so the, the mindset is close your inning. You know, that's something that I've talked to them about already this year is, you know, if you're pitching the sixth inning and you've used to pitching the ninth, think about it being the ninth and just close out your inning and take your your job, you know, serious enough in that inning. You know, we, we don't want to have guys saying, well, why am I not closing and that type of stuff. But these guys know that Blake's the closer, so that's the good news. So it's all about, you know, when you're in the game, close out your inning and then we'll we'll worry about next inning after that inning. Uh, last year, you guys did something a little unusual. Tampa Bay started it with the whole uh, using an opener. Uh, you guys did it in September a lot with Liam Hendricks and, of course, in the wild card game. What did you uh, make of it, especially when it first started? It's such an unusual tactic. Obviously, you guys had seen it when the Rays came in with Sergio Romo doing it. But uh, what do you make of, of that strategy? Well, we'll give the Rays the credit for doing <laughs> it first in a game. But, you know, we've thought about this for years. But, uh, you know, some people don't understand the opener. 
the, the reason why some teams have openers and, and uh, is, is, for lack of a better way of explaining it, some of these guys just can't go two and three innings health-wise. They're, they're just guys that, you know, one or two inning max guys pitching is good for them and that's it and maybe get them out there, you know, two or three or four times. So if you don't have, you know, those elite type starters and you go with an opener, uh, he can get you to your quote unquote starter or long guy, however we want to name this next guy in the game. But my, my thought is if you start your fifth starter and just we'll use Liam Hendricks as the example because he was the opener last year and and he's kind of better at getting three outs or six outs than your fifth starter. And then your starter goes out there and he gives up four or five. By the time you bring in Liam Hendricks, it's a wasted, wasted outs. You know, it's like, well, why would we bring in Liam to get these three outs down five? Nothing. Just start him, let him roll through the lineup, and then here we go. So it's kind of shortening your starter or your whatever name we're going to give this guy. But it's also it's realizing who can get three outs better. You know, if we didn't think Liam could get the three outs better, we'd go with the starter. So Yeah, I kinda like the idea that um it also eliminates the number of times your whatever follower long guy ha- has to face the first three or four guys in the lineup, which is typically your best hitters. So he comes in, maybe gets the middle to the bottom of the lineup and that faces those guys more times than he might the the top guys in the order. Plus you could you you, you can kinda tailor it if it's a left handed heavy you know, uh, first four guys, you, you might have a better idea what you're going to do with your opener if you're doing it that way. I, I, that's a great term, follower. You know, I'm, I'm, we're going to use that one. Uh, he's the follower. But, you know, baseball is turning into a game within a game. And, uh, you know, I talked about this years ago. Why don't we start a right-hander, and if they load up their lineup versus all lefties, we'll bring in a lefty in the second inning. You know, I've, say, I've said that because, you know, traditionally some people would call that Bush League or, or you know, they, that's not right or whatever. But the game now has become a game within a game. You're doing everything to win the game. You're shifting. You're moving the third baseman uh, to play right field. We've seen four outfielders in the outfield. Uh, so all these guys are trying to be creative. And at the end of the day, we're just trying to win a baseball game. We're trying to put the team, uh, Bob puts the team in the best chance to have success every night, and that's all that we're trying to do. And uh, I like the game within the game. I'm assuming it, now it's just a it, it isn't even to the level of a pro- proposal. I think it's just been thrown out there. I'm assuming you're probably not crazy about this idea of having a pitcher face a minimum of three batters once he's come in. Yeah, I mean, no, let's not take the game away. I mean, we're being creative. Uh, you know, and, and I know at one point we talked about the shift and, and, and my opinion is, you know, as a pitcher, we're going to take what the hitters give us. If they don't want to go the other way, that's on them. And we'll keep exploiting them the best that we can. That's why you see strikeouts going up and balls uh, in play going down. They're not doing what they used to do. With two strikes, they used to spread out, choke up, put the balls in play. And if, if they don't want to do that, 
that's their issue but don't cater the game back to the hitter just because they've decided they don't want to do that that's my opinion right, you right. know let that let us play the game right why take away any of the strategy that's the fun part the fun for the part fans the too you try to think along with what's going on and why is he doing that and what might they do in the next inning i don't, I don't know why you would take that away and again it's just something that's been thrown out there i can't imagine that's that they're facing three bad it seems like absolutely taking any sort of element of strategy away from a manager and, and they you know I've also seen talking about lowering the mound yeah well the lowering part of the mound may uh, decrease some velocity but it's easier for me to pitch up in the strike zone with the mound lower right. I don't have to get down through the action as much so if you lower the mound you're actually helping the pitcher you're not hurting the, the right. pitcher so I'd, I'd be all for lowering the mound just for that reason because they haven't made the adjustment yet to where they want to put more balls in play if they want to hit more home runs and we want to pitch up more and you lower the mound you're really catering back to the pitcher yeah, that's the beauty of baseball and, and most sports is whenever there's a trend, somebody figures out a way to kind of get around it, and it, that's why we, it's cyclical, right? So uh, I think you're right. Any any sort of any of these kind of things, it all just winds up coming back around. Now, um, I don't want to get choked up here, and I don't want to get you choked up, but you've had a very tough off season. I think every A's fans remember last year that your mom had a, a stroke, and you recently lost both your parents, who you were very close to. Can you just tell us a little bit about how you and your family are doing, and maybe a little bit about your mom and dad, because I know they were really special. Yeah, we're, we're, we're doing good as a family. Um, you know, my mom had the stroke in July, and um, it got to a point where my dad just really didn't want to live without her, you know, and, and he started to struggle with his health. Uh, he was checked into a rehab facility for mobility issues. And and then he started, uh, you know, thinking of, you know, we thought he might have some dementia and, and, and some of those issues. But about two weeks before Christmas, the, the, uh, the one uh, rehab center he was at, um, well, uh, basically uh, said he needed higher care. So we were actually able to get him in the same room as my mom for Christmas. So they spent Christmas together in two weeks. And, you know, I think my dad really realized then, you know, my mom probably wasn't coming back and we wanted to get it, get them both through Christmas. Uh, but everybody I talked to at the, at the uh, rehab facility would always say, You're, they've never seen a person, my dad, love a woman more than, oh more than he loved her he would uh you know like i said mobility issues was a big problem with him he uh was a diabetic and um still had all his limbs and uh he had my sister gave him a kidney in 2004 but my dad would set up chairs in the middle of the night just to get from his bed to my mom's bed to hold her hand and they'd come in the morning like two three o'clock in the morning and said mr emerson what are you doing and he said i just wanted to go hold my wife's hand oh, i love that so much it's just such a sweet story yeah so you know i mean i've, I've never seen the movie the notebook but everybody's telling me it's, it's kind of like the notebook but my dad would make that track 15 feet as much as he could you know and um you know they my dad got some uh internal he got a c diff and septic and he didn't want to be on any life support so we had to make a decision to well he made the decision on paper that he didn't want that and we pulled the uh, pulled the tubes out of him and he, and he passed in 15 minutes the, the the toughest part was before he passed he like a minute before i saw a tear run down his eye and i'm thinking man did he see people in heaven or was he crying because he's gonna miss me you know and then um 
we found out the same day that mom just wasn't going to recover and she didn't want to live on a machine. And uh, so we had to do the same thing. We waited a week to do that with my mom because my, my niece was having her baby shower. So we're going to gain another family member soon. But my mom took 11 days off life support. And um, that was tough because they, they were thinking two hours and then we just saw her fighting every day. Dang. And you'd go home going, wow, she want, what, what she want? You know, we, don't, we know she didn't want to live on a, on a ventilator, and, uh, but she, she was fighting for some reason. But, um, you know, we, at that point we were like, you know, dad is, uh, he's at the gates yeah, waiting. He, he's you know, waiting. We're like, he's not, he's not there yet. He, Stop he's, making him wait. Yeah, and uh, I, I think I told you the ironic thing for me was um, the day after both of them passed in Arizona, it rained. I thought that was kind of weird that, you know, and I always heard that, you know, if it rains, you know, somebody's thinking of you yeah. and um, whether that's true or not, I'll take it that I way, like it. Yeah. but uh, yeah, I'll take it that way. So, uh, but you know, they're, they're better off right now and they went together. They found a way to be together. They were married 57 years. Oh so uh, uh, their social security numbers are only four numbers apart. That's crazy. That's what that's the crazy part. So my mom uh, was older than my dad, but uh, they were great people. They were funny. They were, they were braggers. I can tell you that. <laughs> and and they watched every A's game. Aww. That was their passion. Is uh, just sitting every night, watching the A's play ball. And my dad wanted to be our advanced scout, so he would you know always tell me stuff. What What are you guys doing? Why'd you do that? Or great job. So uh, and then my mom really started getting in it into the games as well so uh but i'm sure they're up there watching i'm sure they are too and you know i know you know this but all of uh, the A's fans that i regularly am in contact with people on social media and just around the ballpark everybody's been thinking about you this this stretch of the last couple of months so um yeah thanks for telling us a little bit about them i think we feel like we we know a little more and just amazing an amazing story thanks for joining us on A's plus today scott emerson well i appreciate it and, and the A's fans have been even when I wasn't in the big leagues, they're, they're, they're unbelievable people. They're passionate about their, their team. I can't say enough about them. I really can't. You know, you walk out, and, and I, I actually want to talk to people when you come out of the dugout or when I'm walking down to the bullpen. It's, you know, I feel like they're part of the team. You know, they're just on the other side of the wall. And, and uh, you know, a lot of what I like to do is do it for them. You know, they deserve it. Man, I, I need to have you on this podcast more often. You put, put things better than just about anybody else. Thanks again for joining us, Scott Everson. Joining me now on the Ace Plus podcast is a longtime friend uh, and someone I'm a huge admirer of, though I'd, I would probably never admit it to him, um, Howard Bryant of ESPN, ESPN the magazine, uh, who covered the Ace in the 90s uh, for the San Jose Mercury News. He knows everyone in the organization, and uh, he's an award-winning author and columnist, and you've probably seen him on your TV screen quite a lot. Howard, welcome to spring training. Um, as a longtime observer of the A's, um, what did you think watching them from afar last year with what they were able to do making the postseason, winning 97 games, especially given the state of their rotation? Well, I think the fun part of this season last year was going into spring. It was 
when you come to spring training, especially in Arizona, you get to do multiple camps in the same day. And the number of people who were pretty much dismissing the A's as, as a rebuild. And you're not going to do much this year. And I, I think that the, the beauty of what happened last year was the fact that Bob and Billy and Dave Forrest, everyone said, we're better than you think. We're better than you. And, and everyone would say, yeah, 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 right. And that's just what you say at the beginning of the season. But as the year went on and you started to look, and especially when they came in, I think, in, in May and they played Boston and they played New York and especially the games in New York, you're like, you know what, they're competing. They're not just competing, but I, don't think, I think they lost that series. They lost two out of three, but they had the Sunday game, and you walk out of that, that gauntlet. You come up here, uh, up there. You go to Boston, New York. You walk out of those six games, and you're like, you know what? This is a small sample, as they say, but I'm not really sure. They're that much better than us, and then to maintain that all season was, was terrific, and also to have star power. You've got Matt Chapman. You've got Chris Davis, and to do what, what they did made you pay attention it wasn't like, oh, well, these guys are just playing over their head. They've got good players. So how do you see them this year? I think they're uh, less of, a, uh, of an unknown quantity, um, and they once again have a lot of rota- rotation question marks. Last year they had all the injuries. A lot of those guys are still out after various surgeries. Uh, and they lost a couple of free agents, and they're still sort of trying to piece things together. They did that last year, kind of patchworking their rotation. Can they do that two years in a row and be successful again? Well, you've got three issues, to me at least. And, you know, having just gotten here, I haven't even looked at the whole roster yet. I remember looking at them you during the... You haven't memorized it yet? They, I haven't memorized uh, the whole thing. But I remember, I remember looking at them during the... Um, I think there was, a, there was a headline during the winter meeting saying that they didn't have any starters to start the... But you're one of your stories, saying they actually didn't have any starters. But I think you've got three issues. Number one, you've got to essentially have a rotation that you feel somewhat comfortable with, even though I know today is a bullpen game. The, the second issue is, is that you've got to be able... To to sort of recreate that camaraderie that you had last year. You've got to be able to have that sort of, you know, not really an us against the world thing, but a, a, a feeling that that we have something that other teams don't, you know, that they're not recognizing that we have, and it keeps us together, it makes us stronger, and we're going to really overcome, we're going to find ways to win games that you don't think we can win. And then, of course, the third thing is maybe the most important thing. You're not sneaking up on anybody nobody's going to look at you and say, oh, yeah, we're playing the A's, and you lower your guard the first game, that you steal the second game, and then the third game's up for grabs. That's not going to happen on weekend series anymore. Now you're going to come in on a series, and everyone knows it's a 97-win team that you're facing. So now, suddenly, you're going to get everybody's best from the start, and that changes everything. Uh, the A's weren't the team, first team last year to use an opener, but what did you think of that? They, they obviously did that all through September and then wound up starting an opener, Liam Hendricks, in the wild card game, which, you know, it's not necessarily the reason they lost that game, but um, it, it's certainly an unusual strategy and they did lose that game. So what, what are your thoughts on the opener in general? Well, I remember talking to Dave Forrest about it in, I think, the first or second week of September. I think maybe the first week of September. And and I remember saying, hey, you know, you're only three in the loss behind Houston. Maybe you don't even need that game. And he said, yeah, Houston's really, really good. We're expecting that we're going to be in that wild card game. And I didn't love it. And in that conversation, he had said something like, well, maybe we're just going to run out the bullpen for nine innings. And I'm like, what's he talking about? And that's exactly what he was talking about. Not the strategy you would like if you were Edwin Jackson. Right. And or, certain, Mike Fires, or Mike Fires or, or somebody, yeah. <clears throat> excuse me, who is who, who's a professional and they want you I think I can give you one performance for one right. playoff give game me the ball. give yeah. me the ball that's what you want in the postseason uh, I think I don't like it 
because I think it undermines, one, the spirit of the game in some ways. Two, it undermines something really, really important, which is a starting pitcher to give you stability. And, and baseball today is moving so much in the other direction where they're willing to live with instability. How are you supposed to expect performances out of that many guys that many days? It's hard to do. I think it's much, much easier to have four or five guys where you know what you're going to get. Even back when I was covering this team in the Stone Age, when you, you, had, you had guys like you know, Tom Candiotti and Gil Heredia, you knew that they were going to give you innings. Right. You knew that, okay, here's what we can expect for X amount of innings. Now, all bets are off. And I think that if you start looking at those, that those really important innings over the course of a game, you're just not sure what you're going to get. And you hope that you have one of those bullpens, like the Yankees bullpen or what these guys did last year, where somebody, you're going to find two or three guys who are going to be really, really consistent. But I, I think that's just a real tight walk. Now, uh, Howard, you are uh, recognized as a, one of the leading experts, really, on the subject of race in professional sports. You've written extensively on it, uh, and, and you've written a lot about the national anthem uh, kneeling controversy, which, of course, involved um, the A's Bruce Maxwell two years ago when he was a rookie in September, and he, he chose to kneel. And I know you've had some conversations with him. Where, where do you think baseball is in terms of its, its race issue? How does it stack up against other sports when it, when it comes to race and diversity? Well, those are two different questions. So you, one, that's a protest issue. It's a political issue, and baseball is not really part of this issue. They're, they're not, the players aren't really involved. The, the number of African-American players is so small that the players don't feel particularly a, a, a what's the best way to put it? They don't feel like they've got a footing yeah. in terms of numbers. And if you're going to do any sort of protest, what's the first thing you need with protest? You need numbers. They right. don't have it. It's interesting that Mookie Betts isn't going to the White House. That is a statement of itself. However, Alex Cora is going two years in a row, even though Alex Cora is not very happy with how this administration dealt with the Puerto Rico situation and Hurricane Maria. So I think that baseball has made it pretty clear, at least the players have made it clear that this is not going to be a forum for protest for them. And, th and that's, that's okay. It's not great because there are a lot of issues out there where the players could actually have a lot of power. In terms of the race and baseball issue, especially as we're seeing whether it's a Kyler Murray situation or whether you're looking at the 7% African Americans in, in the game now, I, I think that I think there's value in having diversity in the sport. At one point, I, and you're an old hockey writer as well, so I, I used to make this argument years ago when the Canadians were all upset that the Russians were taken over and suddenly the sport that you remember for being so French-Canadian was suddenly more international. And I was thinking, okay, well, is it a big deal? Does it matter if black players play this game or not? Does it matter who plays in the NHL? And from a tradition standpoint, it does matter. It does matter when you're connected to a certain history. It certainly matters in style of play. There, there was a style that black players brought to the game, that speed and defense and, and, and excitement on the base paths and all of that, that sort of athleticism that the game doesn't have. You look at the sport now, and it sort of feels like an all-or-nothing game. It's a home-run strikeout game. And what would Vince Coleman do in today's game? Or what would Ricky do in today's Ricky. game? Or Tim Raines? I think Ricky would still Ricky be fine. Would be pretty, <laughs> Ricky would be pretty damn good in any, in any era. But, and that's funny you should say that because I was talking to Billy about this uh, several months ago. And he was telling me that Ricky would be more valuable in today's game than he was when he was playing because he was that good. But the point is taken about how different the game is style-wise. 
And when you look at baseball, one of the issues that I that I keep having is, are we paying attention to the optics of the sport, or is the sport in real trouble? Is it an enjoyable sport to watch? The revenues say the game is fine. The game's still making money. But the perception of the game, and maybe this is simply just a baseball thing, because like being on the field, it's a game of failure. The people who, who cover and 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 observe the game sort of feel like the sky is always falling. <laughs> you would think that this game is in colossal decline right now, but maybe what it is is it's a stylistic issue, that people just don't like the style of the sport. And maybe going back, you know, if you had different types of players with different types of skill sets would sort of change how we view the game. I remember talking to uh, J.P. Ricciardi about this not too long ago, and, and he said that the whole thing of giving up outs to you know to score runs we don't do that anymore we don't the 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 chance taking of stealing bases just doesn't work anymore it's not the same game uh you bring up bring up kyler murray obviously Mm -hmm. we can't put um the whole issue of baseball and playing baseball versus other sports for african-american athletes on one guy he is a very unique case uh, winning the heisman trophy in some ways yeah having that happen i think probably changed the equation for, for him and certainly for the NFL teams. Um, but it also seems that um, uh, football was definitely his passion too. So um, I don't think we can necessarily say he's a case study, but what did you make of the A's pursuit of Kyler Murray and trying to convince him to play baseball after having given him the $4.66 million signing bonus and the fact that he, he has chosen football? Well, I loved it because it was bold. And I like the fact that whenever we talk about baseball historically, we always talk about the Red Sox, and we talk about the Yankees, and we talk about all these other organizations. The Oakland Athletics have always been a pretty bold organization. They've had to be because of their financial situation. So to take a chance on Kyler Murray and to take a chance, $4.6 million and a first-round pick isn't a whole lot when you're the New York Yankees. It's a lot when you're the Oakland A's. You were really trying to make a statement here that this is an opportunity to, to really do something. As you saw, it reminded me a little bit of when the A's went out and got Cespedes. You didn't think that that was going to turn into something. It turned out to be a great hit for them. I, I kind of think in the other on the other side of this. I was listening to one of the interviews that you did, Susan, earlier today. I don't know when this is going to run, but today, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, when you were talking about trying to compete, what baseball could do, or what the A's were trying to do to compete with football in terms of a financial package. And I was thinking to myself, where have we been that baseball is trying to compete with football financially? The whole sport's turned upside down. Baseball, the one thing that baseball had over football was that it could offer you more money, offer you more stability, and offer you longer, a longer shelf life. Right. And suddenly to choose football against that level of stability or a sport that you can play 20 years against a sport that you could play maybe five years, I think that says a lot, and that's that would be concerning. But from the A's standpoint, I loved it. I thought it was a smart move for them. I thought it was a bold move for them. I thought it was something that sometimes you have to roll the dice. And and when you have a player like Kyler Murray who's got that kind of athleticism, who can be a great player, who's got a perfect baseball set, perfect baseball body, he could do all these different things and seems to enjoy the sport. I, I didn't think there was a whole lot of downside. The big problem, of course, is his heart. He wants to be a football player. Right. And if your heart's not completely in it, then at some point, obviously, that's going to come, that's going to show. And better sooner than later. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I think that was clear. And, good, you know, good for him if that's what he wants. If that's his dream, he should pursue it. He can always come back to baseball. I'm sure the A's would be thrilled to have him well, um, say, no matter what. Something else. Also, let's not forget that he's got long odds as a football player and he may very well determine that 
as much as I want to be a football player, you know, maybe he's got a little bit of Tim Tebow in him where it's like, I don't just want to be a football player. I want to be a quarterback. Yeah. And if I can't be a quarterback, then maybe I'm a better baseball player. Right. Maybe baseball's a better fit. You're asking a lot for a five foot ten inch super athlete Heisman Trophy winner to be an NFL quarterback in these days. I'm thinking about over the last 50 years. It's not a sure thing. No, you're looking at Russell Wilson, who's 5'11", who played with a great, great defense. You're looking at Fran Tarkenton, who played with a great, great defense, who was under six foot. Maybe Drew Brees, who is six foot. So those are the best quarterbacks that I can think of off the top of my head that really were Hall of Fame level impact players at his height. So it's no guarantee that he's going to walk in there and be a great player. Maybe he's going to recognize early that the league itself is going to determine, as they did with Cordell Stewart and as they did with other players, right. that maybe you're a, you're a slot receiver. Right. Maybe you're not a quarterback after all. Maybe you're Antoine Randall and you're a wide receiver. Well, the NFL famously has trouble projecting college quarterbacks. I mean, that's Malcolm Gladwell's written about it. So, yeah, it's not necessarily well, a forget thing. Charlie Ward won the Heisman and ended up playing for the Knicks. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, it's not a perfect science. Base, baseball isn't either. There are no guarantees in either sport. But I, I think he'll be fine playing, playing one or the other. As Bob Melvin said yesterday, we expect him to have a long, successful NFL career. But what they're not saying is, yeah, sure. If he wants to, he can always come back here. Now, Howard, um, really quickly, um, you have a n- new project you're working on that I think A's fans will be very interested in. What can you tell us about that? I can tell you that I'm really, really hoping to sit down with Ricky Henderson this trip and to continue talking about uh, the Man of Steel. I think he, I was thinking about this with a, a few other people. Uh, so Reggie Jackson and I were having a conversation during the playoffs last year, and we were talking about this thing that we talk about in baseball these days about stars and does baseball have enough stars and about who wants to be on the big stage. Reggie knew a little bit about being on the big <laughs> stage. And we started thinking about how many, you know, who, who do we want to read about? Who do we care about? How many people can really handle the stage? Who wanted the stage? Who liked to be a superstar? And Ricky just kept coming to mind. And I'm like, that's the guy I want to write about. And, and also somebody who not only played 25 years, I remember last year during spring training here, I said to him, you know, Ricky, you actually never formally retired, did you? And he said, no. And he said, um, I still think I could help a team. <laughs> he said, looks like be, he could. He said, you're going to be 60. Ricky, He's been in better sh- much better shape than many players over the years. Ricky turned 60 <laughs> last Christmas. And I bet you he still could him. make a team out of spring training. I'd take him right now. I'm looking forward to reading that. Howard Bryant, thanks always for joining us. Um, it's a delight to talk to you. Appreciate it. Susan, my pleasure. A's Plus is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Audrey Cooper is the editor-in-chief. If you like this show, please subscribe, tell a friend, or give us a review. Follow me on Twitter, at Susan Slusser, or you can email me at sslusser at sfchronicle.com. Support A's Plus and a lot of great journalism with a subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle. There are print and digital editions. Find out more at sfchronicle.com slash subscribe.